Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Continuing our study through the book of Acts, we are going to pick right off where we left off a few weeks back. Last week, Cody was kind enough to guest teach for us uh, in Romans, but today we are going to continue through our study. Um, What, if you guys remember, and raise your hand and I'll, I'll call on you, Jesus came back, he rose from the dead, and he came on earth and he was there for 40 days. What did Jesus do after 40 days, after he spoke to the disciples? Anyone? What did he do? <laughs> she gave this, like, thing. She's like, he rose. She's like, she, like, used her hand. She's like, he rose. That's right. Jesus ascended into heaven. He rose, and he went to heaven, and he left the disciples. And the disciples were thinking, oh, no, like, what do we do? Jesus, for three years, had been with us. He'd been teaching us and instructing us. What do we do now? But before Jesus left, he said, look, I'm sending this helper, this counselor, this comforter, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And he's going to give you power to preach this message to the entire world that Jesus came and died on this earth and he rose again. And now you can have salvation through the name of Jesus and what he has done. So that's where we left off. And where we left off exactly was the Holy Spirit had descended upon the disciples. Remember, they were all in one room together meeting, and a, and a mighty wind came in. And remember, those, those flaming tongues came down and arrested on them? And they began to speak in all those different languages? Like, like they remember they were speaking, but everyone heard it in their own language. So the French guy's like, oh, he's speaking in French. And the Spanish guy's like, oh, no, man, that's Spanish. And another guy's like, oh, no, this is Russian. Those are terrible accents. I'm just trying to work with it, okay? I'm not good at it. I'm sorry, okay? I'm like Scottish. I'm not even good at that accent. But they all hear it in their own languages, and, and they begin talking. So, so just imagine, though, this large crowd gathers, because this room of guys at 9 o'clock in the morning, are, not, not, they're not screaming, they're, they're proclaiming God's praises in all these different languages. And everyone hears it with their own language. So this big crowd kind of forms. And that's where we're going to pick up. This big crowd has formed, and they formed around the disciples as they're talking in all these different languages. So we're picking up in verse 13 of chapter 2 of Acts. Somehow, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So to start off, Peter wants to throw aside any criticism that might be coming to the disciples. Because it's nine in the morning and they're talking these different languages, people are like, what in the world's going on? Like, maybe they've had a little bit too much drink, if you know what I mean. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not the case. These guys are not drunk. Actually, this is of God what is going to take place. This is of God. And Peter begins a sermon that is absolutely monumental. It just, it just changes so much, and it begins the church. The church, what we're doing right now, this starts because of what takes place here, because of the speech that Peter gives. Sometimes in history, a speech is given, and it just changes everything. It just changes everything. In 1963, on August 28th, a man got up on stage in D.C., fixed his notes, and, and he gave a speech. And he said, I have a dream that one day my children will not be judged by the, the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. 
And that man was? Oh, thank goodness. At least y'all are learning something in school. I'm glad to hear that. Martin Luther King gave that speech. And because he gave that speech, it became this, this rallying point, this movement that brought about civil rights in America. Going even further back, there's a man by the name of Patrick Henry. And he stood in, and the state of Virginia was deciding, are we going to rebel against the British, who we are colonies of, and form our own nation, America, or are we going to remain under their jurisdiction? And this man, Patrick Henry, rose, and he says, I cannot speak for you, but as for myself, give me liberty or give me death. And his speech was so powerful and so moved that Virginia decided, and this, this movement started to come together, that, that they would rebel against England. And because of that, the most amazing nation on earth was created, America. America. All of you repeated it. I didn't even ask. America was created. America. Okay, we're done. One, wait, one more, one more. One, two, three. America. Still not getting it. I'm, I'm sorry, we've got to do it one more time. One, two, three. America. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Because of this speech, it was so powerful, this, this movement started. And here we're going to see Peter. He's going to deliver a speech. And because of this speech, this movement is going to begin. This movement is going to begin. And Peter starts off his, his speech. His, it's really a sermon, if you will. Just like all good sermons should begin with. With Scripture. He opens up God, God's Word and begins with Scripture. And just a side note. If you begin going to a church in the future and they don't talk about the Bible or open up the Bible and preach on that, find a new church. Just throwing it out there. But Peter begins his sermon and he, and he begins with two different passages of Scripture. He begins first with the passage from Joel. And he begins with another passage from Psalm, which David wrote. And he uses these to, to kind of explain to, to all the congregants what it is that's taking place. And he starts in Joel and he says this, and we read it in verse 17. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Peter's saying, look, guys, what's taking place here, these guys speaking in all these languages and the Holy Spirit coming on them, God predicted this. Literally thousands of years ago, God predicted that this would take place. But that's not the only thing that he predicted. If you go over to the passage of Psalms, we see uh, verse 27. He starts quoting David in the book of Psalms, and it says this, Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, you have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with your joy and your presence. Now, this passage is, is David talking, but, but David wasn't talking about himself. We know this because David died. And David said, my body won't see decay, but here his body is decaying. But what he was doing is he's looking ahead, speaking of Jesus, and he goes, one of my descendants, one of my children, and Jesus was in the line of David, will die, but, but his body won't decay. It won't rot away. He'll come back to life, and he will not be abandoned to the grave. He won't stay dead. So this is what Peter begins his message on, and he's talking about what God has predicted to come. And then he begins talking about Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you and through him, 
as, your, as yourself, you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God. God set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. So Peter gets up and he, and he says, hey, here's what God planned. Here's what his plan was. His plan was that one day the Holy Spirit would be poured out on people as we saw happening. And one day a man would come and, and he would die, but he would not stay dead. He would come back from the dead. And he would come back from the dead to save everyone. And this man's name was Jesus. As soon as he said that name, I bet everyone in that room kind of cringed a little bit. Not a room, actually. He was preaching to a crowd. But everyone in that crowd just kind of cringed a little bit. And the reason is, many of the people in that crowd now who were listening to Peter preach were there the day that Jesus was executed. In fact, they might have even been in the crowd. And when Jesus stood on a platform... And they decided, well, are we going to kill this man? Is he really God? Because Jesus claimed, I am the son of God. And some people didn't believe him and some people did. And, and so he stood on this platform and, and Pilate asked them, the Roman official asked them, hey, is this guy God? Is he who he says he is or is he not? Should we kill him or should we let him go? Because he's who he says he is. And the crowd began to chant, crucify him. Kill this man. He's a liar. He says he's God, but he is not. Kill this man. And they did. And now it's days later. And this man Peter gets up. And he goes, guys, you killed this man named Jesus. You killed him. And his blood's on your hands. You killed him because he said he was God and you thought he wasn't. But I have news for you. You're wrong. You killed an innocent man. Not only that, but you killed God. You killed Jesus, who was the son of God. That'd make you pretty nervous, wouldn't it? That you killed someone and and they had done nothing wrong. But Peter goes a step further. Not only did you kill someone, you killed God Almighty. And he died because of what you did. And now, he is risen from the dead. Keep reading. If you go down uh, to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which has been poured out and you now see. So what Peter says is, not only did you kill an innocent man who happened as well to be God, but now that man is sitting in heaven right next to God. And now that man has the power and authority of God himself. Let's... Just kind of work with me here. Let's just imagine that you did something terrible. Something very terrible. Let's say you killed one of your friends. Terrible. I know you you would never even dream of it. Someone's coming to mind right now, and I'm convicting you all for that right now. Terrible. Let's say you killed one of your friends. Let's say, for example, I killed Josh. Josh, I'm sorry. It's just just an analogy. I never want to. Just, just Let's just go with it, okay? Let's say I killed Josh, okay? And I buried the body in my backyard, patted it down, and left. Not that I've thought this through, okay? Well, what was left of his body? Because what I would have done is feed him to flesh-eating dolphins. They exist, okay? I would have trained them to eat flesh, human flesh. And they would have eaten him. And then I would have put what's remained in there. Okay, a little graphic, I know. Continuing on. Now, let's say 
that I committed this horrible crime. And it's a few days later, and I'm kind of nervous because no one's come to my door, police or anything, so I think I got away with it. And someone comes up and goes, Barrett, you are not going to believe this. You know Josh? I'm like, no, Josh who? What? No, don't know that guy. What about him? I saw him. And I'll be like, you mean on the news, right? Like a picture? No, 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 no. I saw him. Like we played basketball together. He was at the YMCA. It was crazy. He's like alive. I'd probably be freaking out. I'd probably like break into a sweat. I'd probably need to change my pants because I would be really nervous about what was going on here. Like, he's alive? And what if my friend continued on? Yeah, not only is he alive, turns out the whole time he was Batman. I'm like, what? Yeah, he was Batman. You wouldn't believe it. He was the crime-fighting Batman who can beat people's face with his fists. It was incredible. I had no idea it was Batman. I'd be freaking out because I would realize I tried to kill Batman and I failed and he's going to find me and break my spleen. It's going to be terrible. I'd be freaking out because I would have offended and wronged this person who now had the ability to kill me. But Josh would never do that, right? He loves me. He'd forgive me eventually, maybe. No? Okay, it's fine. I understand. But this crowd now hears, hey, this Jesus guy who you killed, he's back. He's alive. Not only that, but he has the power. Sitting in heaven right now on the throne next to God himself, he has all authority and power. And the reason that he died was because you crucified him. Those people must have been scared. They must have felt conviction and realized, oh my goodness, I made one of the biggest mistakes in my life. I've sinned against God himself. And and you know what I think they thought in the back of their heads? I think they thought, you know what? I I probably deserve to die. If God were to strike me down with lightning right now, I, I probably would deserve it because of what I've done. Probably would. So Peter says this to the crowd, and and he he speaks to them truth. You have made a mistake. You've sinned against God. And he kind of summarizes his sermon towards the end. Uh, We see it here uh, in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He kind of summarizes it all, and he says, Look, God sent Jesus to earth. And you didn't realize that he was truly God and you killed him. But now he has risen and now he's seated in heaven and you have made one of the biggest mistakes you could have made. You rejected Jesus Christ. It's always interesting to me the impact that someone's words have on you. Sometimes people respond like, sometimes you'll hear a speech or a um, a sermon or something like that, and you'll hear it, and you'll be like, all right, cool, and you'll just kind of go on living your life, but, but sometimes it really impacts you, and it changes the direction in which you're going. But there's always a response, a response to what is spoken. Sometimes the response is no response, no reaction, numbness to what was said. Sometimes there's anger. Sometimes there's disbelief. Sometimes there's, there's, there's just confusion to what was said. And this crowd could have responded in many different ways to what was just said. They could have been angry. They could have looked at Peter and said, well, you know what? We killed Jesus and we're going to kill you too. And if we see Jesus again, we'll try and kill him again. They could have been furious and angry with what happened. They could have responded with confusion, 
I said, well, I, I just don't understand what to do with this. Well, what do I do now? Well, I kill them. What do I do now? And, or they could have responded with fear or disbelief. They could have looked at Peter and said, you're a liar. I don't believe a word you're saying. I don't, I don't believe Jesus is back. I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe he was God by any means. And justify what they did. But that's not the reaction of the crowd. Let's read what the reaction of the crowd was. In verse 37, it says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? I'm going to read that again. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to their heart, guys. Their very souls felt pain and anguish, and and they realized with conviction what they had done wrong. Sometimes it really sets in the mistakes we make, and, and they really hurt us. They weigh us down, if you will. And these people were cut to the heart realizing, oh my goodness, oh, oh God, I have, I have made a huge mistake. A huge mistake. And they realize sort of the weight that they have done. And, and they don't just sit there sulking in their guilt. They don't just sit there saying, well, I made a big mistake. I, I guess I can't do anything about it. No, they step forward and the response is this. Peter, listen, Peter, we have made a huge mistake We've messed up. We've offended God. What do we do? Peter, what can we do? We've made this huge mistake. We have sinned against God. We've killed his son. What could we do to get forgiveness? What could we do? And Peter simply says this. Peter replied in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter doesn't say, well, live your whole life and be a good Christian. He doesn't say live your whole life and be a good Christian. And maybe, if you're good enough, maybe you live a great life, God will forgive you. Maybe. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, actually, you can't do anything. God's going to strike you down with lightning. I just wanted to tell you all before it happened. Kind of rub it in your faces a little bit. He didn't say that. He said, actually, guys, you can do nothing on your own, but you can do this. You can repent for what you've done wrong, and you can be baptized. Let me talk about both of them. Repentance is simply this. To have realized you've done something wrong, and to desire to change. To realize you've done something wrong and desire you've changed. One time I was talking about repentance, and I I invited a friend on stage and I acted it out, and I said, all right, let's, let's say, this is my friends, and I, I hit him in the face. And I go, dude, I am so sorry for hitting you in the face. The whole fist to your face thing, really bad. I apologize. And he goes, oh, it's okay. And then I, bam, I hit him again. And I go, dude, whew, my bad, totally sorry about, bam, and I hit him again. Now, am I really sorry when I'm saying I'm sorry? No. If I was truly sorry, what would I do? I'd stop hitting him in the face. You need to get new friends, too, if they're hitting you in the face repeatedly. Just saying. But true repentance is to say this, God, I've sinned against you, and I want to stop. God, I want to change. I want to be made new. Help me. Now, it's not to say you're going to be perfect, but it's just to say that your goal, your desire will be to be made new, to be different. So Peter says, repent, and he says, be baptized. Now, does that mean 
that if you want to be saved, if you want to get to heaven, does this mean that you have to be taken to Idly Pool? Pastor Jerry, me, or Turner has to dunk you in the water or you're not going to heaven. Is that what it means? No, it does not mean that. See, one of the reasons that we're baptized is this. We proclaim, we're telling people, hey guys, I'm a new creation. I was one way, I was dead to my sin, but I met Jesus and he changed my life and I put my faith in him. And so because I put my faith in him, I want to tell the world by having a baptism, a public proclamation that I know Jesus and he knows me, that he is my savior. That's one of the reasons that we get baptized. So what Peter was saying is, look guys, believe in Jesus and tell people you believe in Jesus. Be proud of it. Be proud of it. So in other words, Peter was saying, repent and believe. And if you guys have been to camp, it might sound familiar to you guys. Pastor Al was talking about it. He was talking about the center of the gospel being based around repentance and belief. And we see this with Peter simply saying this. Look, you guys have made a mistake. You, you, you deserve death because you have crucified Jesus Christ himself. But if only you would repent of your sins and put your belief in Jesus, you'll be saved. Nothing fancy about it. No work that you have to do other than just believe and repent for your sins. Guys, this message will change the world. It has changed the world. It's changed lives over and over and over again. You see, sometimes we get caught up in what we've spoken. We can look at the story and say, wow, I'll bet you Peter gave an incredible sermon. I would have loved to sit there and just listen to Peter get up there. And I'm sure he was the dynamic speaker. His voice was booming. And he spoke to this large crowd of of over 3,000 people without a microphone, without AC. He spoke to them on the streets. And I'm sure it was an amazing sermon. But guys, you need to catch this. Peter's sermon did not change anyone. Peter's sermon did not change anyone's life. It did not impact anyone. The gospel itself changed people's lives. Listen to what happened after Peter preached. In verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That means they had such an amazing time together that 3,000 people, that's everyone at winter camp times 10, 3,000 people were saved. They woke up that morning, they didn't know about Jesus, and they didn't know he died for their sins. And they went to sleep that night, and they were forgiven of their sins, and they were on their way to heaven forever. And that difference did not happen because Peter gave an incredible sermon. That difference happened because God spoke through Peter the simple truth of the gospel. Guys, I write sermons. Turner writes sermons. Pastor Gary writes sermons. And and we try and do our best. And I stayed up late last night making this one, making my notes and making them look pretty and and trying to do a good job and, and honor God with it. But the truth is this. This sermon will change no one's life. This sermon will not change anyone's life. It will not have any eternal bearing. 
But the gospel will change people's life. The message, the heart of what I say, what God truly did, the fact that he died on a cross for us, that that if we only repent and believe in him, we can have eternal life, that message, that truth will change your life. My sermon won't. It doesn't matter how good it is, how flashy it is, how much you laugh or enjoy it. What matters is simply this. Do you accept it and do you respond to it? Let me tell you a story. Um, There's a small Baptist church. This is a true story. There's a small Baptist church. uh, And the pastor had worked real hard to get a sermon ready. And and he gets up to the stage after a great worship set. And he he sets his notes out and sets his Bible down. He's ready to go. And he gets up and he goes, let's open our time with prayer. And, And he prays, much like I do, to begin our sermon. And he prays and he simply says, God, we love you. God, thank you for your son that you sent to this earth, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who rose again, and who, who because of his work, we now have salvation through you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And he goes and he gets ready to begin his sermon. And he hears something. He, he hears this sobbing, this incredible crying in the room. And he, and he looks up and, and down the aisle walks a man he walks down and he kneels at the altar and he is broken and weeping and crying uncontrollably. And the pastor's kind of feeling a little bit awkward like, okay, so should we start our sermon or what do we do right now? Like, this is kind of awkward. This dude is just broken and crying. And one of the deacons goes over and he he takes the guy and they go in a different room and they begin to pray together. And the pastor preaches his sermon and he finishes and after he finishes, he, he finds that guy. He finds that man. And he goes to the man and he says, Sir, what's wrong? Why are you crying? What's going on? And the man, through his, his, his tears through eyes, he, he just simply says this. He goes, Did you not hear what you said? And the pastor goes, I hadn't even started preaching yet. I hadn't even got halfway through my sermon. He goes, No, 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 no. When you prayed, you said God loves me. You said that he sent his son to die for me? And you said that I can be forgiven of my sins? You see, that's all it took. It didn't take some sermon to convict him. It just took hearing the simple truth that God loves him. He sent his son to die for him. And that if he would just believe and repent of his sins, he can be saved. It took nothing more, but that message had so much weight and so much power that it would change that man's life from that moment on. He wouldn't even have to hear a sermon. Guys, this gospel message is so powerful. When you come into contact with it, you are never the same. You're not. Let me, let me give an example this way. Let's say I come in here and I'm late to my sermon and I go, hey, guys, sorry. And I jog up the stage and I go, the reason I'm late is I was on my way here. And I was walking across the street up here at the crosswalk. And an 18-wheeler ran me over. It was so crazy. But I'm here. I'm here. You'd call me a liar, wouldn't you? Why? Because you would say, Barrett, there's no way something as powerful as an 18-wheeler can hit you, run you over, and you're fine walking in here. You would be totally different, as in hospital different, as in dead different. You wouldn't be here. And yet sometimes we claim to come in contact with God, 
to hear the most powerful story ever told, and we're no different than we once were. Still living the same way, still acting the same way, and we're no different. When we come into contact with who God is and his gospel, shouldn't we be different? Shouldn't that influence our life and change us in a mighty way? But my words won't change you. They can't. Only the truth of God's gospel and who he is will change you. He alone can save you. His words alone give you hope and give you joy. Put your hope in him. Repent and believe. That's the core of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, every one of us are just as responsible as this crowd who chanted crucify him for your death because because when we sinned, God, you took that sin on the cross and you died for our sins just as much as you died for theirs. And we are just as responsible for your death as anyone. But God, you offer us forgiveness. Forgiveness for something that that we did wrong we don't deserve it if we would only repent and believe we would be saved God thank you for that gift thank you so much for that gift we love you Father God and it is in the name of your son Jesus Christ in whom we have this hope and this joy that we pray Amen